CrimeCon, the world's number one true crime event, is coming to London, now on the 25th and 26th of September this year. It's such exciting news, and I am looking forward to seeing all of you guys on Podcast Row and checking out all of the exhibitors. Get inside the mind of serial killers and psychopaths. Learn from leading criminologists. Hear from the families and survivors. Meet your favorite true crime podcasters. Immerse yourself in forensic evidence and delve deeper into unsolved crimes. CrimeCon is the ultimate true crime weekend partnered by crime and investigation. And I will be there all weekend with bells on and a GNT in hand. So come and join us. And remember to quote Mens Rea for your special 10% discount. Limited tickets are on sale now. You can pay in installments, and tickets are, of course, COVID-proof. For more information, head to crimecon.co.uk. I can't wait to see you all in September. Hello, you lovely people. I just want to give you a little update before we dive into the episode. If you're not interested in what's likely to turn into an overshare the too long didn't read, is that my release schedule has been all over the place and probably will continue to be for the next couple of months. Some of you already know that I've struggled with my mental health for a long while. In fact, for those of you newer to the show, I took a three-month break just after I started because of depression. And while the last couple of years have been no different, and with changes in routine and COVID and everything, this last year has been like pulling teeth trying to motivate myself and to focus. Thankfully, I've been able to work with some great mental health professionals and have finally gotten a diagnosis of ADHD, which explains a lot. I'm just starting treatment and I'm really hopeful that it will quite literally get my brain back into gear and my schedule will be less approximate. I have so many ideas and plans and things I'd like to do with the show to get more stories to you in various ways while continuing getting my regular episodes out for you consistently. I'm incredibly privileged to do this at all, to tell these stories, to have you listen. And the show has meant that in the past couple of years, one of the things that has been most difficult for me, getting myself to a job, I haven't had to worry about. And in fact, my job is something that I'm very proud of. So with all that said, I'm hoping that with a plan of action in place, I'll be back on schedule by the end of the year. But I also have to make sure that I do that in a way that's sustainable. So I hope you understand and that you'll stick with me while I get that done. And in the same vein, delays this week have, shock horror, caused me to be behind. So what you're about to hear is a bonus episode originally published as a Patreon-only guilt trip episode. Patrons, I've popped this in your feed, though you might have listened already, just so that you get the update too. This is the story of Father Niall Malloy. Please keep an eye out for the new documentary, The Killing of Father Niall Malloy. The first episode aired last Sunday on RTE and the second will be out this weekend. Both will be available on the RTE player if you miss them. Father Malloy's story is one that has stuck with me and I'm delighted that the case is getting more attention. Please consider following the Justice for Father Malloy accounts on Facebook and on Twitter as well. I hope you'll be just as moved and, frankly, frustrated as I was when I first learned of this case. You're listening to the Mens Rea Podcast, and this is the story of the mysterious death of Father Niall Malloy. Father Niall Malloy 
early hours of July 8, 1985, in Clara, County Roscommon, Sergeant Kevin Ford heard a knock on his door. When he opened it, he found the parish priest, Father Dignan, standing there. He said to the Garda that a man was dead on the floor of the bedroom in Kilcorsey, the local big house. The priest told him that it was quite a scandal, and asked if he would be able to keep it quiet. The shocked sergeant, of course, said that he could not. When Sergeant Ford got to the house, he found Richard Flynn, the owner of the estate, sitting on a chair in his living room, calmly drinking coffee. At half three that morning, the inspector guarder from a larger station arrived to the house. When Richard Flynn greeted him, he said, quote, I am the culprit. It quickly became apparent that the man lying dead upstairs on the floor of the master bedroom was another priest, a longtime friend of the Flynn family, Father Niall Malloy. Niall Malloy was a local man, having been brought up on another nearby estate at Carrow House in County Roscommon. He was born the youngest of eight children in 1933. His father was both a farmer and a senator, sitting in the upper house of the Irish Parliament. Niall had a keen interest in horses, which would continue throughout his life. After his final year in college, he decided to join the priesthood. He was ordained in the early 50s and spent some time as an army chaplain, even serving abroad in Cyprus but he eventually returned to his home place and became a curate in the Diocese of Elphin. Teresa Breen was a childhood friend of Father Malloy's, and when she and Richard Flynn were married, Father Malloy became a close friend of the family. Teresa and Niall both shared a deep love of horses and all things equestrian. When Senator Malloy died, he left his son £65,000 in his will, which was a huge sum at the time, closing in on half a million euros in today's money. The priests lived frugally and so decided to invest the money in his hobby of horses. He set up a business with Teresa Flynn. Richard Flynn eventually moved out of farming and sold the land and house that they had in Westmeath, and Kilcorsey House in Clara, Roscommon, was bought. This house sat on 60 acres, and so Teresa Flynn and Father Malloy's business dealings together continued. The two had no formal agreement, but rather a business partnership based on trust. She provided the land, and he had a great eye for bloodstock. Over the years, he became like part of the family. He would spend most weekends with them and visit at least once during the week. He had his own office and bedroom in the house, as he'd often just stay if he didn't want to make the drive back to his parochial house. But by the mid-80s, all was not well. Over a year before his death, Malloy's sister had noted that he was out of sorts. Ralph Parks married Maureen Flynn, daughter of Teresa and Richard, on the 7th of July, 1985. A huge marquee had been set up in the grounds of the house for the party after the ceremony. Father Malloy did not attend the wedding mass, but did arrive afterwards for the reception. 
A huge amount of the horse, he said, attended the wedding, and so many of the guests were familiar to him from show jumping and from the Westmeath hunt. Those attending the reception reported that there was no apparent signs of stress or strain between Malloy and the Flynns. On Sunday, the wedding celebrations continued with a buffet lunch, also held in the Marquis. Father Malloy had travelled back to his parish for Sunday Mass the evening before, but returned to attend the event. By five o'clock, all of the guests had left the estate, and the Flynns were left with only family and a few close friends at the house. At around 7pm, the Flynns reported having gone to visit their neighbours, the Good Bodies, along with the priest. They said that they got back to the house at around 9 o'clock. The younger members of the Flynn family, meanwhile, had gone to White's Pub in the village, with only two of them, Maureen and Anne, staying behind that evening to keep their Auntie May company in Kilcorsey House. The young people had passed the older group when they were on their way back to Kilcorsey. Maureen and Anne headed to the pub as soon as Mr. and Mrs. Flynn and Father Nile returned. The junior Flynns left the pub after closing, and about ten of them headed over to David Flynn's in Tubber for coffee and sandwiches. A group of them left there at 12.45 and returned together to Kilcorsey. They were all staying at their parents' home that evening. They said when they arrived at Kilcorsey, Father Malloy was at that point lying on the floor of an upstairs bedroom, dying or dead. They reported that the time was about 1 a.m. David Flynn called Father James Dignan and told him that he had to come to the house immediately and that he needed to be prepared to anoint someone for the last rites. The parish priest arrived quickly, given that the parochial house was only across the road from Kilcorsey. Father Dignan said that when he anointed Father Malloy, he didn't recognise him. He had no idea he'd just given the last rites to his fellow cleric. At 2am, a doctor was fetched from Kilbegan, about 20 minutes away. He was the Flynn family doctor, and was brought to the house by Father Dignan and one of the daughters, Zandra Flynn. His name was Dr. Daniel O'Sullivan. It was odd, given that there was another doctor very nearby, a few short minutes away in the village. Father Malloy was dead by the time Dr. O'Sullivan arrived, but he was reportedly still warm. The man was not long dead. Teresa Flynn was in the bedroom in hysterics. Dr. O'Sullivan sedated her and brought her immediately to Tullamore Hospital, where she was admitted and spent a few days as an inpatient. It wasn't until quarter past three that Father Dignan notified the guardee that something had happened. The parish priest asked if the matter could be kept quiet, but the sergeant notified his superiors and told the man that the incident would have to be fully investigated. When Sergeant Ford arrived at the house at half three, he went upstairs to where the priest lay on the floor of the master bedroom. He noted that there was blood on the man's face. Richard Flynn was sitting calmly downstairs drinking coffee. He seemed to be totally unconcerned with what he referred to as the, quote, messy old business of a dead body on his bedroom floor. Richard Flynn would also say to the inspector detective who arrived in from Tullamore that, quote, I'm the culprit. 
the inspector went about trying to figure out what the heck had happened there that night and asked Richard if he had found the priest and his wife in a compromising position. But Mr. Flynn insisted that no, this was not at all the case. He told the guardie that what had happened was the result of a silly row over who should fetch the next round of drinks from downstairs. He said that both his wife and Father Malloy had attacked him, and he had knocked Teresa unconscious and hit Father Malloy in the face twice. Richard declined to give a full statement in the early hours of the morning, but said that he would give one to the guardie the next day. On Monday the 9th of July, more detectives were in and out of the house, taking fingerprints and having the scene forensically examined. Father Malloy's body was upstairs in the master bedroom, which was located at the back of the house. He was lying on his back. Dr. Harbison, the state pathologist, noted that the room was relatively tidy. It was not disordered, like there had been a significant fight or struggle. There were, however, bloodstains and spatter around the room and in the adjoining ensuite bathroom. Harbison did a post-mortem later that day and found lacerations to the left side of Father Malloy's mouth and a split lip along with bruising all over the face. He concluded that Father Malloy had died of acute brain swelling and acute subdural hemorrhage, both resulting from multiple injuries to the head and neck, principally the face. These had been caused by blows to the face, possibly five to six, maybe more, which were delivered most likely by a fist. Dr. Harbison found no injuries indicating that the victim had also hit someone, or had even tried to defend himself. The forensics team had found bloodstains on the bedspread, duvet cover, and clothing on the end of the bed, which was in disarray, as if it had been slept in. Also, on the light-coloured carpet, there was an eight-foot drag mark from near to the bed to close to where Father Malloy's body had ended up, across the room near to the bathroom. All of this blood was consistent with Malloy's blood type. There were also other blood stains on the TV and bedpost, closet door, and in the wash basin in the bathroom. Later on the 9th, the day after the attack, the inspector went to take the statement that Richard Flynn had promised earlier that morning, but by that time, Flynn's solicitor said that his client would not be making a statement that day. Two days later, on the 11th of July, Father Niall Malloy was buried in the graveyard adjacent to his church in Castle Coote. Three months later, in Kilbegan District Court, Richard Flynn was charged with the manslaughter of Father Niall Malloy as well as with assault. His trial was set to start on July 12, 1986, in the Dublin Circuit Criminal Court. The trial lasted a whopping four hours. Thirteen witnesses gave evidence for the prosecution, and there was very little, nearly no, cross-examination. The main witness was Dr. Harbison, and he told the court that he had concluded that the death was the result of acute brain swelling and bruising and a bleed on the brain, which he had got from injuries in a fight. In Cross, Paddy McEntee, counsel for the defence, asked Harbison if acute heart failure may have had a contributory factor which resulted in Malloy's injuries and subsequent death. He proposed that if Father Malloy had got angry in the course of an argument, given that his heart was in less than perfect condition, this may have led to his collapse injuries, and death. 
Harbison said that he could accede to that possibility, but reiterated that it was his opinion that this was not the case. But on the basis that it was a possibility, Paddy McEntee made an application to the judge that the jury should not be asked to deliberate, given that the cause of death was in question, now that Harbison had said that Father Malloy might have died as a result of a heart attack. The jury filed out, and the judge, Mr. Justice Rowe, heard the submission. McEntee argued that since Dr. Harbison couldn't say for certain that heart attack due to a weak heart was a possible contributory factor in the death of Malloy, then cause of death wasn't beyond reasonable doubt, and therefore the charge of manslaughter couldn't be certain. He further said that Richard Flynn had struck Father Malloy in self-defence. McEntee argued that it was possible that death had resulted from heart failure, that there was a possibility of contribution of heart disease to the death. He said self-defence was a defence to manslaughter, and given Father Malloy's weakened state, it was possible that less strikes would be necessary to result in his injury, and therefore self-defence was probable. McEntee also said that misadventure was a possibility. The parties involved had been tired and drunk, and the whole thing had just been a huge accident. State's counsel said in reply that the nature of the injuries inflicted on Father Malloy required a vast degree of force, and therefore self-defence was not likely to account for the damage done. Judge Rowe considered the submission and ultimately, after a short while, granted Mr. McEntee's application to direct the jury, because, he said, Dr. Harbison's testimony meant that it could have been that Richard Flynn only struck the victim one or two times, and that the rest of the injuries may have been due to a fall. If only one or two blows were struck, the prosecution couldn't then prove that more force than necessary was used, and that therefore the charges of assault would not stand up either. He recalled the jury and instructed them to return a verdict of not guilty. Justice Rowe said the whole affair was regrettable. The parties were drunk, and that this was an unfortunate accident. Richard Flynn was acquitted of the manslaughter and the assault of Father Niall Malloy. After this, an inquest was held in Tullamore. Richard and Teresa Flynn would have to give evidence, and it was expected by the public and Father Malloy's family that some sort of explanation would come from this. That there would be some answers to the questions left in the wake of the trial, which had not satisfactorily gotten to the bottom of what had happened in that bedroom on the 8th of July, 1985. This episode is sponsored in part by our good friends, the mobile puzzle game Best Fiends. That's friends without the R. With Best Fiends, the fun never ends. There are literally thousands of levels to play and tons of cute characters to collect. So if you're tired of the same old puzzle games, start playing Best Fiends. Best Fiends has something new every day. There are always new levels, events, and challenges to keep you entertained. Best Fiends challenges your brain with fun puzzle levels, but it's a casual game, so it doesn't stress you out, which is a good thing right now. 
I love that every time I open the game, there's always something new going on, whether it's a new challenge, a fun monthly event, or just new levels. I just unlocked a new creature. It's really great to have a change of pace from the day-to-day -day grind of reading articles on gruesome murders. Best Fiends is so colorful and sweet, and it really ticks all the boxes in that regard for me. Don't forget that you can add me as a friend on the app by heading to Settings, My Friends, and entering the code 1932267. Trust me, you don't want to miss out on this game, so join me and millions of people who are already playing this fun puzzle game. Download Best Fiends for free on the Apple App Store or Google Play today. That's friends, without the R, Best Fiends. More detailed forensics and pathological evidence was given during the inquest, which refuted the grounds on which the criminal case was dismissed. Harbison went into more detail too, and explained how it was entirely unlikely that Father Malloy had died as a result of heart failure. There was a blood clot in the dura, he said, and therefore the heart was pumping until after he was beaten. He did not have a heart attack. Despite his heart condition, none of the pathological evidence detracted from the primary cause of death being the injuries to the head and neck. In relation to the issue of whether the attack may have been self-defense, he stated that there were no defensive or offensive injuries to Father Malloy on his arms or hands that indicated he had struck any blows. The possibility of whether Father Malloy's head had hit off an object causing the head injuries was also investigated. Evidence was given that there was an absence of blood patterns consistent with this in the room. You would expect to find large areas of blood indicating an impact. The question of whether misadventure was an appropriate finding in the inquest was also discussed, whether the group were drunk and tired like Judge Rowe had stated at the trial. But the inquest was told that Father Malloy's blood alcohol level was well within the limits of ordinary social drinking. At that time, he certainly would not have been considered to be drunk or inebriated. Dr. O'Sullivan gave evidence that when he spoke to Richard Flynn after the incident, Flynn had told him that he had hit Malloy and that the priest had fallen, gotten up, and that at that point, Flynn had hit him again. He also said that Richard Flynn had told him that the argument had started downstairs and he had presumed that Malloy had gone upstairs to discuss the matter further. Very little was added when Teresa Flynn gave evidence. She said only that she had a lapse of memory and had been treated for hysteria in the aftermath of the death. Richard Flynn was the last person to give evidence to the inquest. He insisted that his wife and the priest had attacked him, despite Dr. Harbison's evidence that there were no offensive or indeed defensive wounds on Father Malloy's body. He denied that he had made the statements to Dr. O'Sullivan that morning and further disagreed with Dr. Harbison's evidence that Malloy was struck five or six times. He did state that he couldn't remember much after delivering the second blow, though. He said the whole incident had occurred because of the overtiredness of his wife. The deputy coroner, Brian Mahon, stated in his summing up that the cardiac arrest could only ever have been a contributory factor in Malloy's death. He accepted the evidence of Professor Harbison and further said, quote, to go on from that premise that Father Malloy died of cardiac arrest after getting emotionally involved is taking a great leap. 
I don't believe any of them was drunk, even in the social sense. I can only believe that something gave rise to that eruption of anger by one, two, or all of those people, and this inquiry has not been told what it was. End quote. The jury returned a verdict of death due to acute brain swelling, due to injury to the head. But despite the findings of the inquiry, which at least remedied the cause and manner of Molloy's death, if not providing justice for it, there were still many things that went unaddressed and questions that went unanswered. Father Molloy's family still had no real explanation of what had happened that night and why their family member had been killed. For instance, there was never any explanation offered for the eight-foot drag mark in the bedroom, or why it appeared that Father Malloy's face had been cleaned of blood. No time of death was ever properly established either. His family received back a watch that Father Malloy wore, which had stopped at 10.40pm, but the guardie gave evidence at the inquest that the watch had been working during the post-mortem and could not, therefore, be indicative of the time of the attack. But Dr. Harbison stated that he had no recollections of the watch, or it being noted by the guardie and mentioned to him during the post-mortem. The watch had been returned to the family two days after the post-mortem, and when they got it, it was broken. The glass was damaged. They were told that it was of no significance by the guardie, but they thought that it could be an important piece of evidence. It was revealed a year later that there had been five additional Garda statements made about the watch in the file that were not passed over to counsel for the family of Father Malloy. Two of the statements did not appear in the inquest's file either, and one of these statements indicated that the watch was damaged before the post-mortem. The other had noted that the watch was broken before its return to the family. Neither of these Gardi were asked to read their statements at the inquest, despite being present in the courtroom. The jeweller who repaired the watch said that the damage done was that the glass had broken and jammed up against the second hand of the timepiece, and would not have been able to function after the damage was done. This question over the time of death was not helped by the fact that none of the Flynns had given statements to the Gardi in the normal manner. They all had them prepared by their solicitors. All the key times of the family members corresponded with one another's statements, but these statements conflicted with the evidence and statements given by independent witnesses who were present that night. For instance, the younger Flynns all state that they met Richard and Teresa Flynn on the road when they were on their way to White's, while the parents' group were on their way back from the good bodies. This happened at 9.45pm. But James Lowry, an employee at Kilcorsey, said he saw Mrs. Flynn at 9pm and at 9.20. Further, Dennis Hochter, who was a guest at the wedding that weekend, said that the young Flynns were at White's by 9.30. Douglas Goodbody also stated that the Flynns left his house just after 9, no later than 9.20. The journey time is no more than five minutes. Independent witnesses all put the Flynns at home much earlier than they themselves reported. As for the events in the early hours of the morning, the younger Flynns said that they were at home by 1am. Father Dignan and Dennis Hochter, who is to spend the night there as well, say different. The young people arrived at half one, 
Maureen Parks, another member of the Flynn gang, stated that they left the pub to go to David's after midnight, but it was a Sunday, and the pub would have had early closing that night. Dennis Hochter said that the gang of them would have left after about 10 o'clock that night. There were further concerns of Molloy's family in relation to the priest's finances, particularly his dealings with Teresa Flynn and their shared business interests. Molloy's family never found his will. As a practicing priest, Niall was obliged to make a will and to lodge it with the church authorities and with his solicitor, more especially in view of the fact that Niall had travelled abroad with the armed forces. But it couldn't be found, and the family weren't even able to establish the extent of Father Malloy's finances. Details of his financial interests were requested from Teresa Flynn, so that the solicitors could establish his holdings, but she did not cooperate. Teresa herself pursued the will, writing to the bishop, the Department of Defence, and Father Malloy's executors, saying that she was named in the will. But as the will was never found, an administrator was appointed to deal with the estate, such as it was. It also emerged that Teresa Flynn had taken out an accident policy on Father Malloy's life, with herself named as his sister and benefactor of the policy. The insurance company refused to pay out when Teresa was unable to produce the documents required to prove her relationship to Father Malloy. But Malloy and Teresa no doubt had large business holdings between them. They had started buying and selling show horses in 1972, and at the time of his death they had eight horses. They were doing well enough that they had a groom employed, but pretty much everything was in Teresa Flynn's name. They had joint accounts in a number of banks in addition to their personal ones, and together they held shares in a number of companies. The two had bought land outside Athlone Town, which was held as tenants in common. Upon his death, half of the 42 acres belonged to Father Malloy's estate, but the family's solicitors were not aware of it until an investigation done by a news show on RTE Today Tonight was broadcast in 1986. There were indications that Father Malloy wanted to ease out of the business agreement that he had had with the Flynns. In the year before his death, he had been buying cattle. He said that he wanted to replace horses with cattle because they were easier to sell. Father Malloy only wanted enough to retire on and to take a holiday to South America. He told friends that all he wanted was to retire to a small cottage and have maybe one horse. In the months before his death, Molloy had been concerned about an unsettled debt. Teresa Flynn and he had planned to buy land from Richard Flynn. Teresa told lawyers that Father Molloy wanted to have a small amount of land to build a cottage on. The land in question was bought for £24,000, half of which was paid by Father Molloy. But Teresa said that planning permission for the cottage was refused, and so she said she had repaid £11,000 of his share two months before his death in order to stop his worry about the situation. She said she had made this payment in cash from a safe and that she got no receipt for it. The Today Tonight program learned that in late 1984, the three had gone to Malloy and Teresa's solicitors and explained to them that Richard Flynn and his son David needed cash in a hurry for their own business selling car accessories. 
Father Malloy and Teresa Flynn were to buy 38 acres near to the house to set up an arena. The price was to be £35,000, with £24,000 to be paid immediately. Father Malloy had paid his half, but the Irish Land Commission then refused to give permission to subdivide the land in a letter dated 14th of February 1985, and so this would mean that the contract was at an end. Teresa said again that she had repaid Malloy in cash for this, but there's no trace of the priest putting that money back into his own accounts. Father Malloy had in fact gone back to his solicitors and said that he was concerned about the deal and that he wanted advice about it, but those lawyers had said that they had a conflict of interest as they represented both parties and that he should seek advice from another firm. Malloy told them he'd do that, but he would pursue it after the wedding. The Flynn's fortunes declined after the death of their friend, and they were forced to sell their mansion. In 1987, Richard came to the attention of the revenue commissioners, who demanded £126,000 for three businesses in the Midlands that he had not paid tax on. On the night of the 29th of August 1987, there was a burglary at the offices of the DPP in Dublin St. Stephen's Green. Around 60 files, including the one on Father Malloy's death, were taken, most of which were recovered in October of 1991. It's thought that Martin Cahill, the general, was responsible for this brazen robbery. According to official sources, the Malloy file didn't show up until a house was searched in January 1993. In March of 1993, Liam Lysett, the solicitor who acted for the Flynns and for Teresa and Father Malloy's business interests, was chastised and fined by the High Court after the Law Society Disciplinary Committee found that he wrongfully denied having acted for a partnership involving Father Malloy and Teresa Flynn. Then, on October 16, 1994, an article by Veronica Guerin appeared in the Sunday Independent claiming that the Garda file on the death of Father Nile contained a letter from Judge Frank Rowe to the DPP Eamon Barnett, confirming his knowledge of all parties in the case. Mr Justice Rowe had been heavily involved in equestrian sports and ran in the same circles as the Flynns and Father Malloy. Apparently, Veronica had seen this file. She stated that the file included two letters from Frank Rowe to the DPP In relation to the trial of Richard Flynn, she said that the content of this correspondence was, quote, entirely improper and illegal, end quote. Father Malloy's family continued to lobby for justice for his death and a proper full investigation into the incident. On May 24th, 2011, Dr. Francesca Brett, consultant neuropathologist of Beaumont Hospital, provided a report which was compiled from an examination of slides taken from Father Malloy's brain at the request of his family. She reported that, in her view, Father Malloy had lived for a period of 6 to 12 hours post-injury. This report was submitted to the Garda in May 2011 by the family after the Garda Commissioner made an announcement to the effect that the case was to be reopened in November 2010. On August 15, 2012, Professor Michael Farrell examined the same slides in the presence of the Gardee and reported findings which are consistent with those of Dr. Brett in relation to the period of time between the assault and death. 
In 2013, the Garda Serious Crime Review Team published a report into the death of Father Malloy. The report examined the original investigation and reached a number of conclusions. The outcome of the SCRT report led to calls for further investigation into the death and circumstances surrounding the Garda investigation at the time in 1985. In 2014, Senior Counsel Dominic McGinn was appointed by the then Minister for Justice to review the contents of the SCRT report. Mr. McGinn found that in light of the passage of time and the death of key witnesses, further investigation would not be likely to establish what had occurred leading to the death of Father Malloy. He was also unable to substantiate claims that Justice Rowe and the Flynn family knew each other. In April of 2015, it was reported that a new witness, described as a local man with direct knowledge of events, came forward and told Gardy in August of 2012 that Malloy was attacked downstairs in the house. He said it was decided, quote, having taken legal advice by telephone, that the considerable amount of people who were present at the time should all leave the premises, end quote. Then Father Nile was, quote, carried upstairs to the Flynn's bedroom and left to die over a period of hours, end quote. Teresa Flynn died in the 1990s. Richard Flynn died in 2017. The family of Father Nile Malloy continue to demand a full reinvestigation of his death. Thank you for listening to the Mens Rea podcast. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at mensreapod, or you can send an email to mensreapod at gmail.com. This podcast is made possible in part from generous donations by supporters on Patreon. A special thanks goes out to CS677, Melissa Fogel, Camilla Hernandez, Michael Brody, Enda McKenna, Stacey Parks, Anita Boyle, and Sisushi. Thanks to each and every one of you for signing up to support the show. It's hugely important to keep Mens Rea going, and along with my undying love for helping out, you get ad-free and bonus episodes as well as nifty merch. So head on over to patreon.com forward slash mensreapod. Thanks also to our sponsor for this week, Best Fiends. Remember, supporting our sponsors supports this show, so check them out in the show notes. Patrons can look forward to their next bonus episode next week, The weekend after that, there will be an episode in everyone's feed once again, a brand new one that I'm working on right now. And then the weekend after that, I will see you all in London at CrimeCon UK. I'm also going to have some goodies at my stand, so please come up and grab a sticker or a button or just say hello. And I am accepting air hugs. Our theme music is Quinn's song, The Dance Begins by Kevin MacLeod. Additional music is by Juanita Meisel and Kevin MacLeod. This episode was researched, written, and produced by me, your host, Sinead. All sources for today's episode can be found in the show notes or on our website, www.mensreapod.com. And so, till next time, don't do anything I wouldn't do. (laughs) 